your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Take it on the run, on the run. Let's do this. All right, welcome to Over There, the podcast about military activism and the age of Trump. My name is Terry Brennan. I'm an artistic director who lives in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my name is Matt Martin. I'm a uh, retired Air Force drone pilot, defense consultant, general strategist. Let's just jump right in. So this is, uh, as everyone knows, the podcast about the military, about military history and activism in the age of Trump. And uh, I got to say that the the, unfortunately, over the past couple of weeks, there's been quite the intersection of the military and sort of um, activism right now with the the most recent uh, the Parkland shooting down in Florida. Yeah. Uh, guns, as as they always are after these things, is like front and center. I think the last time, the last time we had one of these big talks, I think nationally, and correct me if I'm wrong, was Las Vegas. Was that correct? The last time we had a big storm yeah. about the whole gun thing. Yeah, that's right. Now I um I I subscribe on on uh, Facebook to a group called Ceasefire Pennsylvania. They just, uh, they're a Pennsylvania group. They talk about um, gun regulations they would like enforced, but they also put out um, every time there's uh, some sort of shooting in Pennsylvania, they put something out on their page, usually a a news story or something like that. Um, I get multiple news stories a day. So, I mean, like, even though these big, like, uh, 17, 18 uh, shooting sprees yeah. happen. And, uh, I mean, they say, that depending on who you talk to, they've said we've had like 18 this year so far. Usually a mass shooting means three or more people killed. Yeah. The, the, some people say you need more, but my point is like, there is a news story ever since I subscribed to Ceasefire PA. There's a news story about someone getting shot. And this doesn't even count like people who kill themselves with firearms. This is just, People who get shot violently in violent confrontations in uh-huh. the state of Pennsylvania alone, I get at least one story a day. Yeah. Sometimes I get two. Uh, you know, um, so you know, guns and gun violence are a pretty big problem in this country. And there's, as I was telling you before, this time I've really made a point to. I talk about the issue uh-huh. that I've been walking away from trolls. Yeah, um, I've been actively like turning around and going the other way on the internet because. Trolls are just going to troll, so there's no reason for me to like try to like change their mind. But I still find myself in like at least <clears throat> one good debate every day. And by good debate, I don't mean like boy that went well. We were really respectful to each other. I right. just mean like w- once a day I get pulled into something, and this is me. This is like Terry being like I'm not engaging, and yet somehow I'm pulled into at least one a day. So yep. I imagine I saw you had a pretty good. Uh, back and forth the other day with somebody I really uh, I didn't have the time because I was at work but I yeah. read some of your points I thought you were really solid on a lot of that stuff but I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your experience with firearms training in the military sure because everyone seems to think that as citizens and you know we're going to find different points of view on this but everyone seems to think or a lot of people seem to think that that uh, they need military grade weapons in their home for protection. I'm not sure who they're protecting themselves against. Right. And, and also, um, you know, it's, we've come out of the gate swinging here. Like it's, we clearly fall on a very particular side of this issue. Um, so we will talk about gun regulation and like what sensible, like 
I'm not a person who wants to take away everyone's guns, but I do think that there needs to be some pretty severe restrictions on who gets to have them. And I'd like to hear your point of view since you've trained with them. I've never trained with them. My dad trained with them. And I can talk a little bit about later on my experience as a child whose dad was in the military. And there were sometimes guns around. And I can talk a little bit about that. But I want to hear sort of uh, your take on this since you are uh, your firearms trained, correct? And you have to usually have to carry a sidearm with you uh, from time to time. Yes, from from time to to time. So, yeah, sure. I mean, you can't you can't spend 22 years in the military without without a, a, a fair amount of firearms training. And uh, I spent an entire year uh, walking around Iraq with a Beretta nine millimeter pistol strapped to my hip. Uh, I, you know, every two years you've got to get a, a firearms recertification. And so I was uh, certified on the M nine. I was certified on the M 14. Uh, and then of course uh, we, you know, I flew airplanes that carry, <laughs> uh you know r- real weapons uh and uh we were very proficient with the use of those uh well just remember matt if you wanted to use one of your airplanes on me i'm pretty sure that uh <laughs> my whole arsenal <laughs> would take you down well that and and you know that that's what that's part of the that's part of the point uh you know that the, this idea that you have to be able to well this idea that you have to defend yourself uh you know from other individuals uh you know there there certainly was something to that in the frontier uh america you know there just was not a a, a law enforcement presence uh but in 1787 when when james madison was was writing the constitution he was far more concerned about a uh about two things he was concerned about uh, an invasion uh, because, of course, it uh, it had happened. <laughs> not only did we fight, it was in recent memory. It was recent memory, right? Not only did we have uh, you know the fight the Revolutionary War against the British, but uh, there was ongoing skirmishes with the Canadians, with the French to the south, and the Spanish, etc. Uh, but uh, James Madison was also so he knew he needed to to be prepared for that. But of course he was also suspicious of, uh, uh, of a, a strong central government with a standing army. And, uh, the attitude of Madison and Jefferson was that, uh, a, a standing military, uh, would get co- into constant mischief and would be constantly in search of dragons to slay. And so he didn't want a standing army, right. Uh, which is kind of a, an, uh, an interesting idea today, right? I mean, nobody, not even the most hardcore people on the right, are suggesting that we disband the U.S. military and uh, <laughs> and instead no, go. That's not been on the table uh, any time I've ever been alive. It, it ha- right, it hasn't really been a thing since World War One. Uh, pre- prior to World War One, we still had this idea that you, at most you would have a very small standing military. You would definitely have a, a standing navy uh, because that's how your enemies will get to you over the high seas. Uh, but you really didn't need much of an army uh, to defend yourself uh, because you would, you know, any significant military action you would see coming and you'd have time to mobilize. Uh, and that was their approach during World War One, And um, and then, of course, during World War Two, we had to undertake this this massive mobilization where we converted our entire economy into a war economy. Uh, and ever since then, uh, the military has been just sort of a de facto thing, right? Uh, now, can I ask a quick question? Because um, it's funny you say that because I think about this sometimes. Um, 
Have we ever really come out of that war economy, or do we still no. kind of live in that economy? We, we absolutely do. So, so just to give you an idea, in uh, in nineteen on on Pearl Harbor Day, December seventh, nineteen forty one, a day that will live in infamy, uh, the the U.S. Standing Army was about hundred thousand troops. <laughs> Uh, Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> now that's something I didn't know. So we had a hundred thousand troops in the army, yeah, pre Pearl Harbor. That's right, uh, and we had a navy that was, you know, a little bit, a little bit more robust. Uh, the four aircraft carriers that just, uh, just by sheer coincidence, were not in Pearl Harbor on Pearl Harbor Day were the only four aircraft carriers that we had in our fleet. Uh, we had maybe a hundred warships, uh, and the army air Corps was, was pretty small, maybe about what we would consider about two or three wings worth of aircraft, uh, about half of which were destroyed on, on Pearl Harbor. Right. So, uh, we had this very tiny military and, um, in order to get ready to, and that's why, that's why it took about a year and a half between, uh, between Pearl Harbor Day and the initial actions in North Africa uh, in the middle of 1942, it took that whole time to p- prepare because we just were not, uh, we just, we, we, I mean, we had to start basically from scratch. Uh, when when um, uh, Dwight Eisenhower on, on, on Pearl Harbor Day, on, uh, Dwight Eisenhower was a lieutenant colonel uh, in the army. Uh, a year and a half later, he was two-star general. <laughs> <laughs> still, still getting paid as a lieutenant colonel uh, because the army payroll system had not yet caught up. <laughs> uh, and then, t- oh, uh, wow. two years later, he was five star supreme allied commander in Europe. Right, that just gives you an idea of the of the pace at which we had to invent this enormous military overnight. And by the time the war ended uh, in August of 1945, uh, we had about six million people in the military. <laughs> Uh, and oh, that's quite the that's quite the uh, hundred thousand planes, a hundred thousand tanks, uh, and and people spread out all over the place, right? So, I mean, imagine that just a tremendous industrial effort it took to uh, to produce that, right? I mean, it's one thing to to uh, call up four million troops and train them, and uh, but then to equip them, uh, to give them all their war supplies, and then to uh, send those supplies all, I mean, uh, Japan is 13,000 miles away from the factories in on the eastern seaboard, which where all that stuff was produced, right? So they had to ship it across uh, the entire U.S. Uh, via rail, and then ship it another 9,000 miles uh, across the Pacific Ocean uh, using this brand new uh, Navy that we pretty much just created half of which were ships made out of concrete uh, because that was faster than making ships out of steel. Oh boy. I didn't know concrete floated. Uh, you can, you can actually make concrete float uh, if, if you do it right. So, uh, but then, you know, because that, that, um, that tremendous industrial effort uh, was required at the end of end, because we were also, uh, you know, the only country, pretty much the only industrial country that wasn't completely destroyed uh, during World War II, we emerged as this enormous industrial powerhouse. Uh, and that's uh, uh, which was very good for us um, because uh, it 
brought an age of unparalleled prosperity. Uh, and we had this huge military, what Eisenhower eventually called the military industrial complex, uh, that on the one hand was very useful in creating this new global order that would prevent any future world wars, uh, which we did. But on the other hand, uh, created this, this vast, uh, institution, bureaucracy, constituency that depended on enormous government expenditures on the military uh, to sustain itself. uh, And that was as big a interest, uh, a national interest as any other constituency. And we've spent just incredible sums of money on on the military ever since. Of course, we had the Cold War in there too, uh, which uh, drove this this, uh, enormous spending. Uh, But go back to the original point because of all that you know the idea that we had to learn the hardware the hard way that we needed a standing military uh you know in 1787 uh when madison wrote the constitution he was pretty convinced that you don't need a standing military in 1812 when he was president the british army swept past the maryland militia and burned down the white house uh and after that he had sort of a different different idea Uh, but yeah, no one's talking about disbanding the military in order to get uh, reinstitute the militia. Uh, but that's you know, and that's that's sort of the part of the backdrop of all this. And and yeah, and that seems to be. Now I've seen a number of people who who like to talk about there's there's two there's a two pronged argument. Argument one is uh, you know if the government becomes tyrannical, we need we need our guns to overthrow. But this is uh, this is um, pretty much a what I would call an accidentally racist argument. And at worst, uh, just a racist argument. Sure. And the reason is because when the National Guard rolled into Ferguson, Missouri, yeah. and instituted martial law, the NRA was nowhere screaming about tyranny and um, governmental overreach. Sure. Uh, it was it was a it was a crackdown on on people that were. You know, but like, but no one was like, "Look at this!" Like tanks, tanks rolling. Tanks like, I mean, tanks were rolling into a major American, well, not yeah. a major American city, but oh. a suburb of St. Louis. Yeah. And uh, and no one was like, "Everyone, get your guns." Yeah. They were like, "Isn't it a shame we have to do this?" Yeah. But when you got guys like uh, Eamon Bundy who were like, "I'm going to take over a uh, what was that thing they took over?" They they went to like an unused. Like that was, government, uh, yeah, that was a bird wi- watching house or a, something. A, a wildlife a national park, a wildlife <laughs> refuge in Idaho. Yeah, and they were like, "We're taking this over," and they camped out there. Right. Um, and and no tanks went in, and uh, I believe they were also acquitted, which was really frustrating. They were ultimately they acquitted went in with all their guns. Yeah, and the only guy who got shot was the guy who just had the 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 sheer uh, density to to pull a weapon on federal agents who were already pointing guns at him. <laughs> right. Right. So the, so what's really frustrating is when people say like, Oh, um, tyranny, governmental overreach, it's never explicitly stated, but anybody who's watching the news knows that, that, that Im- the implication there is, uh, tyranny against, uh, tyranny against like middle-class white people. Yeah. And, and you know, it's only that Ferguson is only the latest of uh, such examples. Of course, we had the Indian Wars. We had uh, uh, the Japanese internment camps. Uh, we, you know, we, there are many instances in American history where the federal government decided to round up people uh, and put them in camps or to just kill them outright. Uh, and, and when they fought back, the government just brought in more firepower. 
And so, so when I hear that argument, I get a little bit frustrated. The other one that I've hear, which is which is we've talked about this because I, I'm not this extreme, but I, I, Matt, you know, I get anxious. Yeah. Is uh, somebody's people people put uh, well, you know, when the shit hits the fan. That's yeah. my favorite thing when people talk about when the shit hits the fan. That's when someone says the term. Well, when the shit hits the fan, that's when I know that I don't need to listen to anything else they have to say. I'm like, oh, everything coming after this is going to be complete and total bullshit. Um, right. <laughs> but like, they're like, you know, when the shit hits the fan, the police have uh, no legal responsibility to protect you. And now that's not untrue, right? They, the 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 particular. Uh, the person who was citing this was citing the LA riots in uh, the nineties for like when three days, when South central Los Angeles was kind of a free for all. Yeah. And basically what they're saying is that like, you know, the police not only don't have the legal obligation, but in a lot of cases don't have the ability to, to run around and protect every single last person. If someone's breaking into your home, et cetera, et cetera. But again, uh, someone else made this point. I didn't have to, I walked away from this one which is that you don't need automatic weapons. Yeah. Um, in this case, like something like a, a standard rifle or a shotgun or a handgun. And I'm, I'm not, I don't want any of those in my house, but if that's what someone wants, like these things are enough to generally speaking, deter or, or protect. Well, um, well let's I actually, would, Terry, I'm going to argue there's other ways to go about that. Well, uh, Sorry, was that? so, so let's take a step back here, Terry, and, and talk a little let's, bit. Let's, let's, cause I'm starting to just make things up. Uh, so there, yeah, I guess, I guess there is this sort of, um, this common notion that, uh, you know, if someone breaks that, that first of all, that there is this, this potential phenomenon uh, that a complete stranger is going to enter your home with the intent to, to do you harm, right? Uh, and surely you can find examples of this, uh, but it's super rare. And if you are a white person who lives in the suburbs, uh, it never happens, right? Uh, now, really quick, I live in the middle of the city. Yeah. So, now, I'm not going to dispute what you're saying, because you're right, <clears throat> but I live in a densely populated area. Sure. And that is... Um, this, this is not going to happen, but like it's more—it's more likely, for example, if we're playing this fantasy scenario, it is more likely that I'm going to deal with people roaming the streets, <laughs> doing throwing rocks through windows. Well, right. But mostly, that's but, what's going to happen. Also, I have a dog. Yeah. Well, and like literally, that takes care of a lot of what we're talking it, about. It's, uh, but of course, it's, it's very interesting to note that the people who are the most uh, pro uh, gun rights are not the people who live in cities. <laughs> <laughs> where something yeah, like that, that. May, may be more likely, uh, they are people who live, uh, you know, e either in rural areas or in the suburbs, where this kind of thing almost never happens. I mean, we know that uh, the vast majority of all crime occurs among people who know each other, and certainly the vast majority of all gun crime uh, is against people who know each other. Uh, half of all gun deaths are suicides. Uh, about the uh, about half of all the the non-suicide gun deaths are people getting killed with their own weapons. Uh, you know, in domestic violence or other disputes between neighbors or whatever. Uh, so, you know, the idea that you're going to de defend yourself against that you're going to have a need to defend defend yourself against total strangers is is kind of a myth. Uh, but in the U.S. military, our approach is not to stand your ground, right? Um, when when I was carrying a nine millimeter around in um, uh, in Iraq, uh, we were doing that because we were in a in a combat zone, right? <laughs> uh, 
when we are not in the combat zone, uh, though they took those guns away, right? Um, the idea, you know, even so you just can't like take that to Burger King and be like, "What's up? I need a, Absol- a whopper." Absolutely not, right? In fact, uh, <laughs> you know, if you if you live on a military base. Um, with very few exceptions, you you are not allowed to keep your own gun inside your own house. Uh, you have to check that weapon into the base armory, and if you want to go do target practice or whatever, you have to go to the army armory and check it out and check it back in when you're done. Uh, likewise, you cannot drive onto and off of a military base with uh, weapons in your vehicle. Uh, if you are about to be sent on any kind of official business where for some reason you need to take a weapon with you. They put that weapon in the locked case uh, and uh, that weapon does not come out of the locked case until you are uh, at an arm up point or, um, you know, wherever you need to execute your mission. Right. So we exercise very strict control of these things uh, because we just don't have this idea that you need to be ready to rock and roll at any time. <laughs> right. Well, here's the deal, Matt. I mean, like uh, I, I keep hearing that, uh, the only thing that stops a good guy or a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Yeah. So you're telling me that uh, even when you're walking around uh, carrying these things, you can only carry them certain places. And it's not just like, uh, you know, just at the drop of a dime, just start shooting. No, abs- uh, absolutely not. You know, when I when I was in Iraq, um, most of the time, you know, with with. Just a couple of, you know, I was uh, between the couple different trips I took, I was there for for a total of about a year Uh, of that of that one year period. I maybe put ammunition into my gun twice when I was going to get on a a a vehicle and drive outside the gate. Uh, And when I drove back inside the gate, that ammunition came out and uh, I then had to, we have this uh, uh, procedure called the clearing procedure whereby uh, they have a big barrel full of sand and uh, you, before you're allowed to go any further, you put your gun in the, in, in the barrel and pull the trigger uh, just to confirm that there are no live rounds in, in the gun, right? And if it happens to go off, it's going to go off into this barrel of sand and not cause any damage. In fact, we had to, because there were so many, when I was at Blot Air Base at one point, we had 30,000 Americans there, all of them armed. And so before they, they set up a clearing station outside the chow hall. And before you could get your food, you had to demonstrate that your weapon was unloaded. <laughs> uh, so See, and this is, um, we just, which, did, yeah. So this, we didn't play around with this stuff. Counter to so many arguments that are being put out there right now. It really, it really does. It, the, the folks in the military, the profession of arms, uh, we have thousands of years of of uh, of of case studies to draw upon, uh, lessons learned, uh, and and hundreds of years of the U.S. military to draw upon, and we know what we we tend to know what is safe and what isn't safe, and of course when there are mishaps, when there are negligent discharges, when there are people who are uh, injured by firearms, uh, we do investigations, we identify causal factors, and then we put in place new procedures to prevent those uh, from recurring. Right? We take a we take a, a safety approach. Uh, to the control of firearms. Uh, We don't section them off as this sacrosanct thing that you're not allowed to ask any questions about. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I know that um, when I was a kid, uh, so my father was in the, was in the army reserves and, uh, and he was, uh, you know, he was um, not like a weekend guy. Like he, that was his job. He was, uh, he was in every day. 
he eventually retired as a sergeant major. Um, I forget what rank he was when I was a kid, but I used to go into his office every now and again. And I remember that one particular time I was obsessed with his typewriter. He had a typewriter and I was like, this is, this is insane. I get to press buttons and letters up here. Um, and as a kid, as a kid will do, the typewriter was awesome. So I needed to see what other like neat gadgets, uh, dad had at work and i do remember opening uh one of his drawers and there's a 45 in there um and i remember being mm. so excited i yeah. just looked at it i was like fascinated i closed the drawer uh-huh. and then uh, i probably told my mom or somebody how cool that was uh let me tell you that was not there the next time i went uh-huh. uh i remember going looking for it but what's really important is not so much that it wasn't there anymore uh what's important is i went looking for it sure like I was like, oh, as a as a five year old, I was like, I gotta play with this thing. The typewriter was fascinating. So was this gun. And one of the big things is like we need to arm teachers, which I mean, I don't think we need to go too deeply into why that's a really bad idea. Yeah. But since it's been floated by the president and since there's a handful of crazy people who are pushing this as like a real solution, um, it's just important to say that like as a person who teaches right now, like I don't teach uh, school school, I teach at a circus school, yeah. but um, I only have at the most, the most I've ever had is 12 kids at a time. And that is with another teacher. So like our, our ratio is uh, six kids per one adult. And anybody who has kids understands why that ratio exists. How school teachers deal with like 20 to 30 kids at a time, I'm not exactly sure. But the idea that, so my dad was a pretty responsible dude. Yet, yet his forty-five happened to be yeah. in a drawer at work. Now, maybe it was unloaded. Maybe there was no clip, and I don't know. I was like four or five when I found it. Sure. But the point is, is a pretty responsible guy put it in a drawer one day, probably because he didn't want it on his side or for who knows what reason. But a kid found it. Yeah. You're going to give teachers these guns. And yeah. I think we all know that the presence of guns, like the more guns are around, the more likely a gun is to go off. Like yeah. that's that's been proven time and time again. You would think that that would be sort of a obvious thing right that that but uh but there's a whole group of people out there who insist that it that's just not true right that the that actually the more guns that you have the less likely one is go, is to go off which uh, i mean that just defies uh the laws of physics right the laws of probability yeah probability especially it defies the law of probability like and the other thing that gets me is you know, people keep saying like, well, you know, reasonable, responsible gun owners. And when people say reasonable, especially reasonable, this is the word. Let me define really quickly what reasonable means when people say this. Reasonable means like the people I know. It doesn't even really mean reasonable. What they're really saying is like, well, I feel like Jim seems like a cool guy. He must be reasonable. Yeah. So when people say, like, we need reasonable this, reasonable that, what they're really just saying is we need standards that I'm comfortable with, like the people around me. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the people around, you know, the gym or or whoever is well-trained or is even responsible. I mean, it's the same thing when people say common sense. Common sense just means what I'm used to. It doesn't, there's no real definition for common sense. Yeah. Common sense to you and common sense to me are very different. If I threw you in a room full of kids and then I was like, Matt, when they were acting up, why didn't you just tell them to run to the wall in five, four, three, right. two? Well, that's just common sense, Matt. I've uh-huh. been teaching kids for 10 years. <laughs> 
Same with you. If I were to walk into a room, you're like, Terry, why didn't you just tell these Air Force cadets that? I don't even know what to say there. But the point is, is common sense to me and common sense to you aren't the same thing. So when we say yeah. common sense or when we say reasonable, what we're really saying is this thing that I'm used to that I can't even really articulate because I haven't spent the time to break it down. But what yeah. we've found is that more guns means there's a, a higher probability that the gun, that something's going to happen with the gun. Sure. Kids get their hands on stuff. That's what kids do because in a lot of ways they're hardwired to, they don't know anything. So the way they learn is by exploring and being curious. And that's not a bad thing, but that means that people who know better, like grownups need to make sure that the things that are in their environments aren't dangerous or things that they could use by mistake if they got their hands on them, because they will. Right. They absolutely will well, get their hands and, on stuff that's in the room. And the way they're going to get their hands on it is is not because they are mischievous uh, or because, I don't know, name, name your name your way to blame the kids. Uh, the, way they're, <laughs> the, the way they're going to get their hands on them is because there will be an inevitable breakdown of structural controls that are uh, put in place to prevent those types of occurrences. Uh, in the military, even though everyone who is there, who is handed a weapon, is highly trained uh, and has been you know, instructed on how to control these things, we don't assume that they're just going to be good for the rest of their time in uniform. We, we start with the assumption that there will be a breakdown in discipline, and so we are constantly reinforcing those structural controls to prevent that, and they still break down. Right? There are still mishaps. You know, in in, in Vietnam, the, you know, the reason uh, uh, firearms get end up uh, left in desk drawers is because people get comfortable and they get complacent and they sort of forget to respect the technology uh, that they've been entrusted with. In Vietnam, for a whole host of reasons. Uh, that that discipline broke down and we stopped enforcing standards uh, and the result was the My Lai massacre, right? Uh, these were good guys with guns yeah. who went out and murdered uh, hundreds of people, right? And not because they were bad, but because they were placed in a situation where their darkest instincts or maybe even just their complacency was no longer controlled. Right. Uh, and that will inevitably happen if you just hand a person a weapon and say, hey, you're a good guy. Uh, you know, you're going to do fine. Good luck. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and exactly. That's, it's one of those things where and so the idea that like putting more guns out there yeah. is going to somehow solve this problem and we yeah. haven't even gotten into and we should probably move on pretty soon but we haven't even gotten into the idea that like so these teachers where do they keep these guns do they keep them at school yeah. or do they bring them to school because we've already been we've already seen that african-american school teachers like philando castillo like you have people who like were who are registered, who have a concealed carry permit sure. and do all the things correctly when pulled over by the police still get shot and killed. And those police are still acquitted. So it's not like, it's not like society at large right now is brimming with discipline and egalitarianism. It's not like we are spending a lot of time, like checking ourselves and, and trying to solve problems. Yeah. In a lot of ways we have, a like if I was a, if I was a black person who had a gun. I, I wouldn't want to be bringing a gun to and from school. Like I, I would know that I'm kind of inherently mistrusted by certain members of law enforcement, and that puts me 
in a precarious position, but also I don't want to keep it at school. Sure. Like in general, I wouldn't even want, I mean, I think we can obviously reasonably say that I don't think I'd want to have a gun if I was a teacher. And most teachers are saying this right now. And a lot of people are like, Oh, well, you know, we should, we should have guns. What, what about when the SWAT team breaches the school Yeah, and I'm running around the halls with a gun, right? Are they going to, are they going to wait to make sure I'm not the shooter before they put me down? It's just such a terrible idea. Position. It's just such a, and, and you know it it also starts this whole discussion you know one of the one of the, the assumptions that we should be pushing back on is the very notion that in a chaotic situation where people are shooting that that you will actually be able to effectively employ a firearm and defend yourself. Uh, we we know over you know in the military and combat situations and I've I've been in in hundreds of, of combat situations uh, where we are trying to tell the good guys from the bad guys and and employ weapons in a precise way that doesn't kill any of the good guys and also doesn't kill any civilians. Uh, and it is the most difficult thing in the world, and we get it wrong continuously, right? We are con- the U.S. military right now, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, uh, we are continuously, accidentally, killing civilians and sometimes our own troops. Uh, uh, and that's when we have, you know, these, these tracking technologies where we can actually tell the, via electronic means, the position of every, uh, a good guy on the, on the battlefield where we have sophisticated sensors, uh, where we can actually identify, uh, you know, who's running around. And, and of course, all of these procedural controls in place and, and clear approval authorities and a, a process whereby we estimate collateral damage and, and have to elevate a decision to employ force uh, to certain senior levels to make those decisions. Uh, with even, and of course, training, 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 training. And even with all of that, we get it wrong constantly the wrong people are constantly dying in wars which is what why they are so terrible and so the idea that you would be find yourself in a in a tactical situation and you would be able to instantly assess the situation and identify who's good and who's bad and then effectively employ your weapon only against the bad guys is ludicrous so I want to I want to transition here and uh-huh. uh, ask them so you had some pretty good points Let's talk about not we we've made we've been pretty clear about how we feel about yeah. just giving out guns. It's also just important to note that um this gets this gets like highlighted every now and again in a brief way, but I I wish it I wish it got more coverage. That the NRA does not allow anyone to bring guns into their conventions. Um <laughs> Isn't that it's, something? It's, it's almost as isn't that something? Um, I want to ask you, because uh, I, I, have, I have ideas, but you're actually a little more um, succinct on, on the way this gets explained. So let's talk about what you, what you think, because I was reading your post the other day, what you think that we should institute as far as like uh, gun regulations. I thought you had some really good thoughts on this. They were pretty, they were pretty simple. Like yeah. they weren't complicated and they, to me, they made a lot of sense. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of things that if, you know, if, if I was leading the charge in Congress, uh, that I would be, uh, in favor of, uh, and that you, you have to sort of, uh, figure out what the, what problem is you're trying to solve, 
you know, trying to solve mass shootings is a different problem, or, or especially these these horrific, you know, mass shootings where dozens of people get killed. Uh, that's a different problem than trying to reduce most gun deaths, uh, you know, because most gun deaths are the result, of, as I said, of, of suicides or uh, domestic disputes or petty crime or domestic violence, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the NRA and the gun rights people love to point out over and over again that these mass uh, shootings uh, account for a, a small percentage of overall gun violence, and therefore they're not a big deal. Um, but of course, uh, even if they only account for hundreds of deaths per year, <laughs> right? That, I mean, that's still ridiculous. I want to point out that we just said only hundreds of deaths. <laughs> that's still utter nonsense, right? That I mean, and it's just not anything we would tolerate in any other uh, any other any other area, right? We wouldn't tolerate hundreds of 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 accidental. Uh, poisonings a year without doing something, right? We, I mean, we may not be able to eliminate uh, those hundreds of deaths, but we wouldn't just say, oh, well, you know, that's the way it goes. We're not going to do anything about bad medication or something like that, uh, or your coffee pot exploding, right? If coffee pots were exploding and killing hundreds of people a year, we wouldn't say, oh, well, you know, that's just the way it goes, right? <laughs> there would be out, outrage. Well, you know, that's just the cost of uh, having coffee. That's just the cost of having coffee, right? Uh, and of course, we would have all sorts of government regulations put in place and there would be lawsuits and fines uh, and legislatures calling for new rules uh, to prevent those. And then, and it, you know, it probably would work, right? We would probably put new rules in place uh, and we would prevent uh, coffee pots from exploding. People love to trot out cars, right? There, there's just about as many people get killed in cars every year as get killed by guns. But of course, uh, gun uh, to operate a car in America, you require a license, you require registration, you require proficiency testing, uh, and then uh, your car has designed into it, by law, all sorts of mandatory safety features that are designed to save your life and to make that car less lethal, and then we have all kinds of laws, hundreds of pages of laws uh, that govern how you use that vehicle, and then we have cops everywhere who are on patrol to enforce those rules and to hold you accountable if you abuse uh, your use of a car, right? Uh, so, yeah, if that's if that's your analogy, let's do that with guns. License, registration, proficiency testing, laws, enforcement, mandatory safety features, uh, and holding people accountable for their use and abuse of that dangerous technology, right? That's that's one thing, right? Uh, the, you know, the gun rights people would say, well, if you create a national database, uh, that means that the government knows who has guns and we could come and take them away. <laughs> it's nonsense. It's never going to happen. Never yeah, has you happened. You can take them away today if you wanted to. If they really wanted to, they could just go house by house. And like, there's not a, like a whole lot people could do. Also, that's we're getting into. We're getting into my worst thoughts. Right. Oh, like whenever Trump says something crazy, and I'm like, I gotta make a go bag. Like we're getting into like my, <laughs> that's the worst part of my brain, and even I know better. Right. And but you raise a good point, right? About 30 percent of all Americans own guns, right? And so if the government really wanted to take away guns, they would just you know they would just go house to house and one third of the time they would they would get their guns and that would be enough to make that effort pay off but of course that's an impossible effort right america's a super huge country uh and to do something like that would require a much larger military force than we have uh and um but you know but they they could do that on a small scale uh in certain areas if they wanted to say japanese americans in 
1941, right? Uh, they could do that, uh, and they have, right? Uh, so a database is not going to uh, create any increased risk that you're going to lose your guns, uh, but it could really, really help in identifying individuals who just shouldn't have those weapons uh, and uh, investigating crimes, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, and holding people accountable. BT dubs. It also, I think what people are also leaving out with the sophistication of technology nowadays, like yeah. if you're worried about a database, the, the sophistication of data mining and social media tracking, they could just and, and the cooperation that Twitter and Facebook seem to give to anybody willing to pay money. They could they could they could find gun owners just via some data tracking on social media. Like it's not like anyone's shy about throwing this up on a public status on Facebook. Right. The <laughs> amount of people who are like, "Come take my guns." Well, right. Well, yeah, great. You've now put up a sign digitally in the world, which in every trolling sure. argument you get into, like I mean, like it is really sophisticated. The technology that 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 social media sites and that even like I mean, like I'm sure everyone knows the story about like how Target had to like change their software because too many people were complaining that it was creepy because Target knew what you wanted to buy before you were buying it. It was based on just tracking the things you were already purchasing. It wasn't like they were like putting up drones or anything like, but like the algorithms that we have today. So a national database is nothing. It's nothing because you if they wanted to find out who owns guns, all of y'all are telling everyone on the face Twitter. Right. And that's not hard to, it is not hard to track that. Like I use Facebook for advertising my silly ass theater shows and I can, I can almost choose by person who I want to advertise to. Yep. And this is just like schmucky, the clown in his kitchen with like $50 to spend. This doesn't even like, you know what I mean? So if I wanted to like, look for, if I wanted to advertise to gun owners, it would give me a demographic of gun owners. Yeah, absolutely. If you like, so a national if, database is nothing. If you go on to Facebook and like the NRA page, right? You're probably, you're a gun owner, <laughs> right? If you retweet, uh, you know, any gun meme, <laughs> You're you're it, right? You're their guy. Uh, you're in the database already. You're, you're there already, right? Now, what, but what we can't do right now is that if your gun ends up at a crime scene, uh, it's really, really hard for the FBI or ATF or, or even local law enforcement to figure out where that gun came from because we have made this conscious choice to not give law enforcement the tools to figure that stuff out. Right. And that means that people out there who have committed crimes with guns are walking around ready to commit more crimes with more guns. So that's one thing. So you're advocating for a database, correct? Yeah, I'm advocating. I, I think we should treat cars like guns or guns like cars, vice versa. Uh, and license registration, proficiency testing, and then uh, passing a, a suite of regulations to require gun manufacturers to build in mandatory safety features, uh, trigger locks, uh, smart guns, right? That technology is, is mature, well-established. You know, why, why would you want somebody else to be able to shoot your gun uh, if it were to fall into the wrong hands when we have the technology today to make sure that you are the only person who can ever shoot your gun? Uh, that stuff, it, it, you know, it, it drives a little bit of additional expense, uh, but just like airbags and seatbelts and analog brakes, uh, the, you know, there will be much protesting about it, but uh, we, we got to do it if we want to make if we want to reduce these crimes 
uh, on all levels, right? That's so that's one yeah, thing. Yeah, because there's a there's a handful of mass shootings that were perpetrated with stolen guns, yeah, right? Absolutely. Right. Sandy Hook was a stolen gun. Right. And if you have guns in your house, uh, and you as we've discussed, if you got kids and you, you know, get complacent and leave your you go to the you go to the shooting range, uh, you come back to your house and before you have a chance to lock up your gun. It's sitting there in your range bag and kids get into it. Uh, wouldn't it be great if there was just no physical way that your kid could accidentally shoot him or herself with your gun because it's a smart gun and it wouldn't, it, that's not possible, right? That, that would prevent hundreds of deaths a year. Uh, and hundreds of deaths, uh, is sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds and preventing hundreds of deaths a year is a, a good step in, in the right direction. I know that you also mentioned, so you mentioned on this post that I was reading and I don't know where it's at. I it was, it was, I was literally passing it on my phone one day and I was like, you go Matt. And then I was like, ah, have to teach children. So, um, <laughs> one of the things that you mentioned also was that essentially that like, if you want like a handgun or a hunting, like a bolt action rifle, yeah. or even I think a, a shotgun, I think you, I, I believe like, you know, a, a standard like pump action, like holds between like six and H cartridges shotgun for hunting or whatever. Yeah, that would be fine. But I think you were saying that basically you were coming down where you don't really need something like the AR 15 or something that, and this is where people start going, Oh, assault rifles. That's just a media term, but basically you don't need something. I'm going to be like really clear here that holds between 15 and 30 rounds that I can basically just go pop, 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 pop without like, like a bolt action rifle. Yeah. Re like really quick reloading into the chamber. Like we don't need civilians don't need a rifle that like, if I need to, I can like pop off 10 to 12 shots pretty quickly and not even need to reload before I go again. These military style weapons, assault weapons, uh, whatever you want to call them, they are just in a different category, right? And the and and the Las Vegas shooting, I mean, if if you ever had a doubt in your mind, the Las Vegas shooting should settle any doubt. I mean, that guy was about uh, two thousand feet away from his targets, uh, and he was able to, in a matter of minutes, kill fifty-two people and wound five hundred more. Right from two thousand feet, from almost a half a mile away, he one person was able to do that. Right, it's not a it's it's a different category of technology, and it's because that weapons and it's not a just a weapon in the military we call it a weapon system. That weapon system was designed for application on the battlefield against large numbers of humans as part of an organized violent effort, right? And so the... And you know, I want to throw in the... the Because I want to just point out the, the good guy with a gun argument here, right? I think Sean Hannity uh, opened his fat mouth and said some stupid things yeah. uh, which is to be expected sean hannity basically just just vomits uh, every night about eight o'clock and people are like man that's some boy drops some wisdom but he and he's an idiot but the point is is that like he said that if he had been there because this is what assholes say sorry i usually don't cuss on the podcast yeah and, and what he said was that if he were there with his gun he could have picked off the shooter. So let's pretend for a second, because that's a dumb thing to say, but let's pretend, let's just let's just game this out, that that we had a bunch of good guys with guns at the Las Vegas concert. Yeah. 
No one knows where this guy is shooting from. Right. So let's just say we all start firing in the direction we hear shots. And uh, and Terry Brennan is just in Las Vegas to enjoy uh, some other, I wouldn't be at a country music concert, but I'm, I'm there in the hotel this guy is shooting from. Uh-huh. I now run the risk of getting hit by stray bullets of yeah. people just randomly firing in the air. Yeah. Yeah. So and, the problem and, is, and with, like again, like and the, with zero uh, efficacy, a by the way, multitude of guns equals a multitude of deaths. Yeah. Right. And and of course, even in that scenario, I mean, unless you were carrying some very powerful sniper rifle, there's just no way you're going to be able to hit that guy. Right. He's too far away. There's no handgun that you could carry. That you know, when when we so every two years in the military, I went to the I trudged to the range and I was handed this this M9 Beretta and gone through a whole series of of uh, refresher training and then a qualification test uh and you know at the at it's part of the military um qualification test uh you have to shoot 90 rounds uh and if i remember right uh 40 of those rounds have to actually hit the paper target from about uh 100 feet away <laughs> uh, and uh, so you you take the test, you you shoot at a target that's ten feet away, and then a target that's at uh, fifty feet away, and then a target that's a hundred feet away. And the uh, the way that you prove that you are that you are proficient to qual- carry this weapon is that you can hit your target less than half the time. <laughs> Uh, and it's it's at very close range, right? Uh, so handguns are just not, you know, they are not. There's a reason why we have rifles, right? Because you can't hit anything at any distance with a handgun. It's it's just not effective. <laughs> so this yeah, is not the way handguns uh, handguns weren't made to be weren't made to hit things right. That are and far it's away. it's the reason they're called a sidearm, right? And it's it's the physics of it, right? The the round is is small, which means it doesn't have a lot of gunpowder in it, which means it doesn't propel the round very fast. Uh, the barrel is short, which means uh, the bullet is not flying as straight as it could when it leaves the barrel and and eventually uh, can go in different directions. Uh, a long gun, you know, like the the AR-15, uh, that five 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 5.56 millimeter round uh, is very, very fast. Uh, in fact, it, it travels at about three times the speed of a nine millimeter handgun uh, bullet uh, because it's a much bigger shell and has more gunpowder in it and when you ignite that gunpowder it has more propulsive force and propels that 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 uh, almost half an inch round at much greater speed out the barrel and then because that barrel is longer it stabilizes that bullet more and shoots straighter farther right and it has an effective you know an effective range of maybe half a mile right if you really know what you're doing uh, which is incredible right <laughs> uh, it is well now, I think you posted, I read an article, and I think you posted it, but I can't remember. Someone did. The other thing about something like an AR-15, when people keep saying, like, oh, uh, an assault rifle, this is a media term, and this doesn't mean anything. But the thing that, that people leave out, besides the fact that I can, like, unload 30 rounds before needing to reload, um, is that the propulsion from an AR-15 especially in these situations like uh, school shootings and things, you don't need to be really good right. to inflict fatal harm. Like you just need to hit me anywhere in the midsection and the force yeah. that that bullet is carrying does so much 
It doesn't need to even hit an organ directly or sometimes even at all because the damage, once that enters my body, the damage that it, like, uh, how do you put it? I don't want to say shockwaves. That sounds like crazy sci-fi, but you know what I mean? Like the right. impact itself. like the, Yeah, and, the, the, and the, the idea is not that, you know, in the movies you see people get get shot and they, they get knocked over, right, or they go flying through the air. Right? That's not what we're talking about. It's not the force pushing against your entire body that would propel you backwards. It's the damage that it can do to your human tissues when it goes through your body, which is what it's going to do because the round is going so fast. Uh, and because it's going so, you know, human tissue is elastic and, uh, and like, uh, like uh, water or any elastic material, it, when you hit it, it's going to ripple. The harder you hit it, it the more it's going to ripple. Well, the, a five, five, six round is traveling so fast, uh, and it's, sufficient size that when it hits human tissue, the ripple force uh, that uh, radiates through that human tissue causes it to completely disintegrate uh, with a very, in a large radius around that impact point. Uh, and so if you hit, let, let's say you shot somebody in the gut and hit their liver, uh, that five, five, six round would completely destroy their liver. There would be nothing left to reconstruct in the in surgery, uh, and so people, you know, when these kids in, in in Parkland got hit, right, there was no rushing them to a hospital and saving them because there was nothing, you know, there was no tissue left to reconstruct. <laughs> That's why they go down, right, because their body just stops working. Being hit with a bullet like that is a is effectively a death sentence. Yeah, like de- on, depending on where you get hit, and but that doesn't mean that you die then and there no it's going to take a couple minutes like, yeah agonizing and, excruciating and so, minutes yeah and so the thing is like to, and i don't mean that i don't want to like make this like super gory and terrible but what people don't realize is that like you know in one of the articles they said that they would get these kids and like i think they were unconscious hopefully by the time they got them but like they would open them up and realize that they were just staring at a kid who was who has like between five and twenty minutes left to live, and there's nothing, there's literally nothing they can do because yeah. that, like you were saying, there's no organ left anymore. Yeah. And so to say that like oh these guns get a bad rap and uh, and 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 we and it's a media term to call them assault rifles is is really kind of disingenuous and really kind of irresponsible because. Because uh, if the same person walked through, uh, as we were just saying, walked through a school, or in the, in, in the case like Las Vegas, in the case like Las Vegas, it wouldn't even be possible. But like if we're talking about walking through a school with a handgun, you're talking about just just that, just, uh, and I don't want to like say, I, I don't want to be like, hey, I'm advocating for uh, handgun school shootings, because I'm not advocating for school shootings, but even if they can only get their hands on a handgun, right. more people are going to live yeah. so, with a, you know, so, something like every time you take the weapon down a grade, more people, uh, like less people die is a better way of putting yeah. it. So, you know, some, something like 80 to 90% of people who are shot with handguns, uh, uh survive, right? Uh, because our med, you know, the, the, the bullet is traveling slow enough. It's small enough. It, it doesn't do the same amount of damage. And if you rush somebody to the ER, we're really good at this now. Uh, you, we can we can save those people, right? We can patch them up. And, you know, Gabby Gabby Giffords was shot in the head uh, and survived, right? I mean, she's 
Stop. And close range. At close range. Gun. Yeah, with a handgun. Uh, so, the, I mean, just the lethality of these uh, military-style rifles is just in, a, in a, a category by itself. And so, I I would just get those things off the street, right? They just they just have no business. I would immediately ban the manufacture and sale of these things, uh, and then through a series of buybacks and other incentives, uh, uh, try to get as many of those things off the off the street as you can because they just don't belong. You know, just we have already decided, right? We already have laws that say you can't have fully automatic weapons, you can't have your own rocket launcher, you can't buy your own F-16, although uh, uh, Lockheed would love to sell you, you know, if you could afford it, if you had $50 million you wanted to, to throw away, and there are people who do, right, uh, Lockheed would love to sell you an F-16, they are not allowed to do so, right, because we have decided that that is just too much power to be put in the hands of a civilian. So, but for some reason, we have drawn the line below Fully automatic machine guns, but above semi-automatic machine guns. <laughs> well, exactly. And like the only difference, right? The only difference in caliber and, and I guess functionality is the fact that like, there's no difference in caliber, right? Like an, a fully automatic right. AR-15 and a semi-automatic, there's really no difference except for that. I, I have to take my, I have to repull the trigger, but the actual power of that rifle, like let's take machine gun, not machine gun out of it. The power is no different. That's like right. It's, it is still just as lethal. Right. Um, it's just not as lethal, like in the sense of like becoming like what you were calling a weapon system. It's not as effective as a weapon system, but in civilian hands, it's incredibly dangerous. And I don't think we really need that. A good, a good, you know, a, a nice little like silver lining to this is um, Dick's Sporting Goods announced. I read it this morning, literally right before I called you up. Uh, are no longer selling. Uh, military-style rifles. I'd have to read the article a little bit deeper, but it basically said that because of the Florida shooting and because yep. of a lot of the pushback, they've decided, they realized that they, Dick Sporting Goods, sold a gun to Nicholas Cruz, the shooter, not the gun he used, but a gun, and that spooked them. They didn't like it at all. And they said, we could have been part of this equation. We weren't. We don't want to be a part of any future equation. We're not selling, basically, assault rifles anymore. Yeah. And they've made a big uh, announcement about it. And I, I hope it stays like, you know, sometimes there's a lot of pushback from the NRA. I hope it I hope it sticks because it's, it's really, really dangerous. Like, it's just, you know, and so anyway, we've we've gone on a lot about danger. Um, it's, uh, but I will say that, like, I'm, I'm glad that you talked about we talked a little bit about the restrictions. I'm glad that you talked a little bit about I, I fully agree. Like, I've always been a big believer in we have no real system in place to test whether someone is responsible enough to own these things. Really, if you have the money, for the most part, you can get these things. And a lot of people like to say, oh, the, the laws already are too restrictive. But that's not necessarily true. I've no. never known anyone who, who wanted a gun who couldn't get one. Right. Like, because we're, because the, it's a patchwork state to state. And it's very easy to go to a state that allows them and then just put it in your trunk, bring it back to the state you live in, put it in your house. Yeah. We don't have a very good system currently. Like you were saying, we don't have a database and anyone who's like, you know, tyranny, tyranny, they're going to find out I've got a gun. Like they know, we know you've let us know you, you have voluntarily signed up to tell everyone out there on Twitter and Facebook that you own a gun and you're and and you're cold dead hands. You know we can't take them. Right. But I do believe that, uh, like you're saying, buybacks would be good. I think a bigger part of this, like you were saying, is regulation. Like we really do. And you know another thing that I want to throw in before we wrap up here is that 
I would, you know, we really need to allow the CDC to study um, gun violence, sure. uh, which they've been gagged since the 90s because the NRA uh, wrote a bill. And then some senator was like, some senator or congressman was like, this is a great idea. There's been a law passing. The CDC cannot study gun violence as a, like, as a, as a disease control type situation if politics enters into it. And so anytime they try to study something, the NRA comes in and says, oh, it's, there's, there's a political bias there. And then we don't get to study it. The fact that we're not allowed to study the effects of guns is really ridiculous. It's really yeah. silly. And even even if you're a, a big time if you, if you're a big time gun person first of all if you're a big time gun person i'm imagining you turned this podcast off about 20 minutes ago but, <laughs> yeah. um, you're like these guys suck but yeah. uh, my my point is even if you're a big time gun person i do believe that you you would believe we should study the effects of guns like we want to learn uh, what that is because we want we we all say we want to live in a safer society I actually think most people do and most people want it sounds like polling constantly shows that like ninety percent of the country wants a lot of the things that you were talking about but entrenched districts with entrenched political interests yeah. are blockading yeah. Uh, things like this. So it's that gets us back to the thing we say every week, right? Which is that <laughs> you got to go need to get out there. You need to get you out there. Find out. You got to get your <laughs> candidates elected and then you got to hold them accountable and you got to, you got to, you know, you've got to make them hear your voice and, and get the candidates who represent your interests into office and then get the legislation passed uh, that, you know, we need to pass. Absolutely. And what's really important that I want to throw in, I heard someone say this last week, and I've always kind of intuitively known this, uh, but someone explicitly said it. And I'm like, oh, boy, does that make a difference? The system of, of government that, that we that we subscribe to is uh, what this person just I wish I I wish I uh, I believe I think it was the gist. I think I was listening to the gist uh, with Mike Pesca. Oh, yeah. And I feel conflicted because uh, I, I feel conflicted about Mike Pesca. Sometimes I'm like, you go, Mike, and other times he drives me nuts. Uh -huh. But Mike was saying that we live in a presidential system, not a parliamentary system, and we always talk about compromise. The thing we like to talk about is like, well, you know, let's get together and, and compromise. Well, in a presidential system in general, but especially right now, compromise is not what drives policy. What drives policy is getting your candidate elected um, and, and basically like getting your party elected and then enacting big change in the short window that you have. Like yeah. the big thing is like you, you get lots of, if you're on one side of an issue, you get lots of people elected in different places um, to enact this agenda and then you push it through and then you see what sticks. Cause sooner or later the other side is going to get their people in. And so it's really about like, basically like getting people elected and enacting your agenda. And it would be nice if we could compromise. And I do think there are people out there that do want to make some compromises on this. But like the reality is that we live in a system right now where you need to, if you want to see these things put into place, you got to get out there. You got to find out who your candidate is. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already interested in this. You got to go the extra mile and you got to like do a little volunteer time. You got to do a little bit. I have a friend who's doing canvassing. So we're getting to the point right now where primaries are kicking up in different states around. And I'm going to start researching who's basically who's running in my area. Uh -huh. And the generals, the generals aren't where you get this done. The primaries are like where, because I live in Philadelphia, 
the next person elected to my uh, congressional district is going to be a Democrat. Like, that's just how it works. Yeah. But guess what? I can choose if I want the guy who's been a Democrat or if I want someone who I think is maybe a little more progressive. And as you've said a number of times, Matt, there are districts within a 10-minute drive of where I live that are absolutely swing districts. And I can go there and I can say, I don't like the fact that we have uh, we have a couple of uh, real pro-gun guys just 10 minutes from my house, and they're up for some tenuous re-election bids. And I can go and canvas neighborhoods and talk to people. And that's what you got to do. If you don't like the situation that we're in, if you don't like the politics that are reigning, uh, take a little time on Google, take a little time on Facebook, find a candidate that matches what you think the country needs to be doing. Yep. Go and volunteer maybe once a week, do a little bit of phone banking, do a little bit of canvassing, do a little bit of like stamp licking. Like there's always something these campaigns need that you can give at your level of contribution. And then the big one is hold them accountable once they are elected. I have all my elected officials programmed into my phone. And when I get mad, I hit say, say, Hey Siri, call Bob Casey. I'm not really happy with the position he took on DACA or Hey Siri, call Pat Toomey. It's time to argue. But my point is that like, if you hold them accountable, it's, it's, it's uh, easier to get them to stick to positions they've committed to because Congress people are up for election every two years. Mm-hmm. So they don't really have a lot of time to breathe. Yeah. They, they can't just like senators are tougher. They can settle in and enact agendas. But yeah. then that's why you want to get your guy in when it's time to get your guy in. Right. And uh, or you, your lady in. You, you, you better act fast. Uh, right now, the, in Texas, we're in the early voting period for the, uh, for the primaries. Uh, and the prime, the the main voting for the primaries is next week. Uh, so uh, I know there are different dates around the country. Uh, uh, but uh, if you haven't thought about voting in your primaries, uh, you better get moving. And primaries are where a lot of this happens because by the time you get to the generals, whatever you kind of have two choices, right? But the primaries, you do get to shop around. And I know it's it's tough because um, there can sometimes be like a lot of people you got to sift through, but. I would say just take a little bit of time and everyone probably has at least one friend. I'm not actually someone who's good at shopping around. I have a couple of friends that I'm like, yo, who should I look at? And they'll give me like two people to look at. They're like, this is, this is, this person is kind of you. This person's kind of you. So I'm, everyone kind of knows who their, who their friend is, who loves to, you know, that friend, they read articles for hours. That friend, like they're like a bookworm and they love details and if they're good, and a lot of them are, they can sum it up for you so you can start to make a little more of informed choices. But find a friend, or if you are that friend, help people do a little bit of this research because not everyone, not everyone's really good at like sifting through all those details. That's why a lot of these guys get in is because no one wants to read the fine print because it is really, it can be really dense and boring sometimes. And the differences are subtle and the, the campaign strategies they employ are splashy and we don't get and you don't get down to the nitty gritty where you're like wait i thought that uh so get your bookworm friends to help you or if you're a bookworm type like help your friends uh-huh. give out a couple of wrecks yeah because primaries are where you get the big change and then you got to go to the generals and really try to like just turn out the vote yeah but if you don't like what's happening vote 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 these kids in parkland florida are a huge example of what can happen when you stay focused and i mean they, they kind of lucked out in the sense that like they had a lot of celebrities come to their aid and they're getting yeah. a lot of amplification. So that's really good, yeah. but you can still do it on a smaller level in your own community. And that's really important. Absolutely. Right. And they, and they're actually, you know what they're, 
they're they're actually getting some things accomplished which i mean we i think a lot of us had had all but resigned to the fact that there just would never be any progress on this on this guns issue and yeah, it's happening for it's happening people, because like yeah. old people get t- old people get tired and <laughs> I, i'm gonna say sometimes i like throw my hands up and i'm like what's the point what's the point but, and you know and so it's good to have new blood who comes in and says this is wrong and i'm like you know what you're right this is wrong what's my problem why have i been <laughs> right. throwing up my hands like yeah. sustained effort is how you get changed not like that's not right. like flashpoint change but um, I think that's pretty much all the time we have for today. We've it gone uh, a little long, but this is an important subject, and uh, I thought we spent some good time on it. Yeah. So, uh, you know what? If anyone has anything to say to us, if you're like, hey, I love that podcast, or hey, I hated what you said, um, you can find us on social media. We're at Facebook slash Over There Pod. We're at Twitter slash Over There Pod. I guess not slash the Twitter we're at at over there pod and you can get us at over there pod at gmail.com. So we would love to hear what you have to say. We always want to hear sort of what our listeners are thinking about what we have to say. If you have any suggestions for us, we always love to hear suggestions. Uh, you can find me. I'm not really on Twitter, but you can find me there at Terrence Brennan. Um, you can find me on Facebook. That's where I spend more of my activism time. Uh, that is facebook.com slash Terrence M is in Michael Brennan. And uh, you can, I put out, I put out stuff all the time about what people can do. So if you want to find me there, you can find me personally. Otherwise you have our, our Twitter and Facebook handles for over there as well. Matt, where can they find you if they want to know what you're thinking about this stuff? Well, I'm, I'm on Twitter at uh, Martin three one one six. That's it. The, yeah, that, that's the only place you can find me. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I'm a pretty public Facebooker. I know a lot of people are not. So, yeah, you know, if you, um, if you go to yeah, our, you can find us there. And also if you go to our website, uh, uh, bluecircle.org uh, and go to the over there page, uh, we keep our Twitter feeds there. And there's also, a, if you want to reach out uh, easier than sending your own email, that's a, there's a place on there for that to happen too. Correct. And you know what I should say? I should, I should probably get on Twitter a little more. Um, because because that's where a lot of this stuff is happening. It's a little less personal. It's a little less like getting up in your life in Twitter uh, than it is in Facebook. I would say also, please go, if you like this podcast, please go and rate and review us. We are on Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us a five-star rating. That helps us to get noticed. It's really hard for anything less than a five-star to be seen on the Apple Podcast app or on Stitcher or anywhere else. So please go rate and review. If you like us, tell us what you like. And if you don't like us, you know what? You know, we can keep that between us. <laughs> That's right. So, keep it on the DL. It's no reason to escalate. Yeah. So anyway, Matt, uh, thanks for sitting in with me today and sure. talking. It was fun as usual. Yeah. And uh, I'll see you over there. I'll see you over there as well, Terry. Over and out. Over and out. The drums rum coming everywhere. So prepare. Say a prayer. Send the word, send the word to beware. We'll be over, we're coming over. And we won't come back till it's over, over.